Good morning. Today is Sunday, August 22nd, 2022. This Jewish year that we are in, which is five weeks from the end, Rosh Hashanah is in about five weeks from today, so this year is a Shemitah year, a sabbatical year, and we've been discussing this throughout the year in various aspects. And it is, as we described, a year-long reminder of this fundamental Jewish understanding where God says, Ki li ha'aretz. That God says the land, the earth, and everything in it belongs to God. And we are here as stewards. We get to use this world, but it does not intrinsically belong to us. To God belongs the earth and all of its fullness, everything that is found there. And so we have this year where we have practices that remind us of this ultimate truth that God created the world and the world belongs to God and that whatever we have, we use to the extent that God gives us permission. Technically speaking, there are two aspects to our observance of the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year. The first is the agricultural aspect. In Israel, we're not allowed to plant normally. We're not allowed to do work in the fields normally. We're not allowed to harvest as if we are owners. Whatever grows by itself is open to everyone. Yes, there are many, many details of how this works out practically, and we've discussed this before, but it's meant to inculcate within us this idea that I am not the owner. I may have bought this field, this field may be in my possession, but I am not ultimately the owner. God is the owner, and I have to reflect that during the Shemitah year. Then there is a second aspect of these laws, and this one is not limited to Israel. It is global. It applies to Jews all over the world, including us. And that is the mitzvah in this week's Torah portion, the Parsha of Re'eh, and we refer to this as Hashmatas Kasafim, the cancellation of debts. And it works like this. Torah tells us in this week's Parsha, Miket Sheva Shonim Tas Heshmita. Every seventh year is a sabbatical year. V'zed dvar And this is the rule that applies on a Shemitah year. Shamot kol bal yado asher yasheh Any loan that is owed between one and another is nullified. Lo yigos es Do not demand repayment from your fellow. Because this is a year of Shemitah, a sabbatical year. I could have lent money. It's due now. But when the Shemitah comes, the end of the Shemitah comes, the debt is canceled. I can't collect it. Something which seems to belong to me, it was my money, I lent it to you, you have an obligation to pay it back to me, but comes along Shemitah and says, no, it's not yours, it's God's, just like the earth 
is God's and we have to do with it what God says. Our money, our possessions also, they belong to God. It's the same message as the agricultural aspect of Shemitah, but it applies globally to every Jew everywhere in the world. And obviously, this component is meant to extend the concept of Shemitah to those who do not own land in, the, in, in Israel. So this affects Jews everywhere. Now, this cancellation of debts takes place at the end of the Shemitah year. So when we get to this Rosh Hashanah in five weeks, as the Shemitah year ends on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, just as this current Shemitah year 5782 is coming to a close, all debts between one Jew and another that are due at that time, they get canceled as the sun sets and the new Rosh Hashanah 5783 begins. It only refers to loans between one Jew and another, only refers to loans that are due before the end of this Jewish year. It only refers to unsecured loans. It does not apply to a mortgage. It does not apply to any other financial obligations other than loans, so wages that are owed or uh, penalties or any other kind of financial obligation other than a loan is not affected by this. There is a method to be able to collect these funds even after the Shemitah year ends through a document called a Prusbal. And we will execute that document this year on Erev Rosh Hashanah as this year is about to come to an end. And we will discuss this document, which is fascinating and very important to understand at a later date. We're going to leave that aside for now. But there's a fascinating discussion in the Talmud about this subject of canceling debts, which clearly is meant not only to indicate that we believe that God created the world and everything belongs to God, but it also has a very important social message. People who borrow money, usually because they were in need, it's an opportunity for them to get out from under crushing debt, for them to be able to have a second chance at a clean slate. It's kind of like the system of bankruptcy, but it works in a very, very different way. It gives people a clean start. So there is a very important social, economic aspect to this mitzvah. The Talmud asks the following question. At the end of this Jewish year, on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, as the sun sets, debts are canceled, the ones that we described. What if I loan money to someone, but it's not due now, it's due a year from now? Well, if the end of the year cancels debts, why doesn't it cancel all debts? The Talmud says no. It only cancels debts that are already due now. What about debts that are going to be due later? If you're canceling debts, why only cancel certain debts? Why not cancel other debts that are due later? 
and a second passage, which also contains a curious message. The Mishnah says, so let's say I lend money to someone and it's due before Rosh Hashanah and it's subject to being canceled and we're leaving aside this subject of Prusbo. Let's just leave that to the side for now. So as Rosh Hashanah comes, the debt's canceled. You don't have to pay me back. Says the Mishnah in uh, the Tractate of Shvius, but I, you, the, the borrower, you can come to me and you can pay it voluntarily. Now, if you do that, I have to say to you, well, listen, Shemitah came, the debt's canceled, you don't owe me anything. But the borrower is allowed to say, and, and our rabbis even say that it is meritorious to say, Afalpikein, notwithstanding that, here's the notwithstanding clause, notwithstanding the fact that the debt is canceled, I want to pay you back anyway. And the Talmud says that that's a meritorious act. Why? I mean, if the Torah does not want, if God does not want these loans paid back, what does it matter if it's voluntary? God doesn't want the loan paid back. Why is it even permitted to pay voluntarily? And the answer is as follows. And it's an answer that applies not only this year, not only to Shemitah. It is an answer that applies to our outlook on life. Because all too often, we fall into the trap of thinking that money is power. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter famously said, having money is not bad. It's not a bad thing to have a lot of money. Loving money is bad. We get caught up in the status, in the meaning of having lots of money in the status of material possessions. We start to believe in the moral superiority or even the spiritual superiority of those who have more. They must be better. They must be higher. And that's false. That's a false way of looking at the world and it is a destructive way of looking at the world. The Torah says that during the Shemitah year, the goal is lo yigos es re'ehu. Do not be a demanding creditor to your borrower. Someone borrowed money from you. So you go over to them, you say, do you have the money? No, I don't have it. I need you to pay me back. You better pay me back. If you don't pay me back, you're going to be in trouble. I did you a favor by lending you money. How come you're not paying me back? There is this insistence that sometimes, obviously not always, but sometimes, and it's ingrained in the relationship where I have a certain amount of power over you. You owe me money. You have to do what I say. I am better than you. I am morally superior than you. I have more power than you. You have to pay me back because you are worth less than I am. That's the attitude that creeps in. If not verbalized, very often 
left unsaid, but still there. And that's what the Torah does not want. What the Torah is trying to accomplish, what God wants to accomplish with the Shemitah is that the entire Jewish people should feel, no, we're all in it together. What we have, we share. In Israel, what grows, we all share equally. No one is an owner. For one year of the seven, we're in it together. We share equally like we're a family. And the same thing goes with finances globally. Sometimes I'm required to give up the profit that I would have by lending money to someone just by getting the money back. I have to give it up. Why? Because we're family. Because sometimes we sacrifice to help another person. Because just because I have more doesn't mean that I'm a better person. It only means I'm in a better person to help you right now. And that's what I should be doing. So in other words, the problem the Torah is addressing is not specifically the collecting of the money. That's secondary. The problem is the attitude of superiority of the lender. The idea that I can go over to you say, give me my money. You owe it to me. You're going to be in trouble if you don't give it to me. It's that attitude that the Torah wants to remove from Jewish life at least this year. And so the Torah says, you are not allowed to go over to another person and demand repayment. If there's a loan due in five years, no problem. That's not an issue. Shemitah is not concerned with that because during the Shemitah year, I'm not going to come over to you and say, hey, you better pay me back that loan that you, that you owe me in five years from now because it's not due. It's not relevant. I'm not acting in an oppressive manner to you. I'm not acting in an aggressive manner to you. That's why it only applies to loans that are already due. That's what I cannot demand from you. And that's also why the, our rabbis tell us, but if you offer it voluntarily, I can accept it. Because if I say to you, the loan is free, the loan is clear, you don't owe me anything, and you come to me and you say, you know what, I know, I don't owe you anything, I want to give it to you, voluntarily. There's a shift in the power there. Now, all of a sudden, you are not the poor person coming to beg for mercy in order to pay off your debt. Now you are on an equal footing. You can use the power that you have the money and you can decide to pay it if you wish. It's not obligatory. So if you are paying it voluntarily, there too there is no power inequality. And therefore you're allowed to pay it. I'm allowed to accept it. Because by accepting it, I am not showing any power or superiority that the money came from me. You're doing me the favor. If anything, the power is going to you. Shemitah reminds us in its agricultural aspect and in its lending aspect that we are only stewards what we have in our possession, we may have earned it, we may have bought it, we may have inherited it, we may have received it as a gift. It's only 
in our temporary possession. Ownership is illusory. Just because you lent money does not necessarily entitle you to get it back. That's the lesson of Shemitah. And it is broadened to every single Jew in the world through this mechanism of cancellation of debts. The Shemitah year is an entire year of living with a radical shift in our thinking. Property is placed in our possession to enjoy, to use in accordance with God's guidelines, but it does not confer on us meaning. Having material objects does not make us superior. Even the money in my pocket is not ultimately mine. It is entrusted to me until God commands me to relinquish it as a loan, for example, which might not be returned because it's due just before the Shemitah year ends. And this is a lesson we desperately need to learn because we have become so enraptured with the status of the objects we have and we all too often define ourselves by what we possess instead of who we are. I've shared this story with some of you before. It's an absolute classic told by the great, renowned Rabbi Beryl Wine. So for many, many years, Rabbi Wine, who now lives in Israel, he should live and be well, he was a rabbi in Miami. And during his years as a rabbi in Miami, he was visited annually by the illustrious scholar Rabbi Yosef Kahanaman, who would come from Israel to raise funds for his yeshiva, a major yeshiva in Israel. Rav Kahanaman was a tremendous scholar and a very, very clever man. And Rabbi Wine cherished those visits and the time that he got to spend with Rabbi Kahanaman. On one such visit, Rabbi Wine had been able to secure an appointment with a very wealthy but very busy executive. And as they drove to the appointment, they got stuck in traffic. And they arrived at the office with just two minutes to spare. But as they entered the parking lot, they saw that it was full. And they were frantic to get upstairs on time because they knew they only had 10 minutes for this appointment. And he was not going to give them a moment more. He was very busy. 10 minutes, and that was a big deal. But in the parking lot, there was one available parking space with a sign that said, reserved for the president. Rav Kahaneman told Rabbi Wine, pull into that space. They raced upstairs. They were immediately ushered into the office of the president, who welcomed them warmly for their 10-minute visit. Rav Kahaneman began his pitch, and he quickly captivated his one-man audience. It was going well until suddenly an assistant to the president burst into the office. These men have taken your parking space, Mr. President. And Rabbi Wine <laughs> wanted to fall onto the floor. It was red with embarrassment. 
But Rav Kahanaman turned to the man and he smiled and he said, Sir, let me explain. We called before coming and your secretary told us that you were here. When we arrived, there was no car in that spot reserved for the president, so clearly you did not need that spot. We needed a place for our car, so we put it there. In this world, God gives us many things, but he never gives them for us to keep. What we have is ours only for the time it is in our hands. Despite what the sign may say, reserved does not exist in God's eyes. If you are not using something properly, then God may just give it to someone else who will use it correctly. And as Rav Gahanaman finished, the president was grinning broadly as he was well aware that the rabbi was not just talking about parking spaces. This is what Shemitah can accomplish, both the agricultural component and the cancellation of debts mentioned in our Torah portion, the Parsha Re'eh the Shabbos. The tremendous exercise in faith and trust in God that everything we have belongs to God alongside the tremendous rebalancing of equality within society, closing the gap between wealthy and poor, evening out self-esteem within all sectors of society, and giving an avenue for people in need to escape the cycle of poverty. Those are the goals of this Shemitah year. And to the extent that we pay attention to them and practice them, we can help reach those goals. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.